Harry Dalziel signed up for World War I in Cairns in January 1915 and made it to Gallipoli by July. He fought on the peninsula for a couple of months before contracting rheumatic fever and being sent to Egypt to recover. He lost a close mate and fellow railway worker at Gallipoli and as you'll discover later, that inspired him to persevere in horrendous conditions. Having recovered from his illness, Harry rejoined his battalion in time to fight in the bloody Battle of the Somme, Pozier and Mouquet Farm. He moved to Belgium with the 15th Battalion to fight at the Battle of Messines in June 1917 and was wounded during the Battle of Passchendaele at Polygon Wood just months later. Harry was sent to England to recover but refused an offer to be sent home to Australia. He returned to the Western Front just in time to fight in the Battle of Hamel, which had been planned and commanded by the Australian commander, General Sir John Monash. Under Monash's strategy at Hamel, there wasn't the massed infantry attacks that had been used largely unsuccessfully earlier in the war, but rather the use of combined arms to achieve victory, with planes, artillery, the infantry and tanks all working together in unison. It worked, with all objectives achieved within 93 minutes, just a few minutes longer than Monash had planned. It was during this battle that Harry Dalziel won his Victoria Cross, fighting to take Pear Trench in the middle of the six and a half kilometre German front line being attacked by the Australians. I'll let Harry tell his story. He wrote the following description of his actions that day. In action with a Lewis gun section, 4th July 1918 was myself, driver Henry Dalziel. We were harassed by murderous fire from a nearby enemy stronghold. The Australian advance was held up. My gun had cleaned up one nest, but another planted in a different direction opened fire. I dashed at it, killing seven Germans with my own revolvers. One German bloodhound wounded me in the hand, but I soon had him on the ground. I lunged at him with my German dagger, catching him right over the heart. His dying cry upset me, and I shivered. At Pear Trench The Australians pushed on. Blood was pouring from my wounded hand, but I advanced with the others. We passed Pear Trench, which had only 23 machine guns, and coming to a deep-down cement dugout which held half a company of German men. Our number one gunner held his Lewis gun on his hip and fired down the steps of the cement dugout. The poor Huns came up with their hands above their heads, calling, Mercy, comrade! They were handing out watches of different makes, gold and silver leaf wristwatches of beautiful designs. I felt like a warlord, with my two revolvers pointing at them and one dagger on my belt. We sent them off with their beautiful watches to the moppers up. This was a grand experience for me and I relished every minute of it. We found Huns dead in all directions, up in trees, under duckboards, in shell holes, everywhere. Our artillery had been doing great work. The smokescreen was a great success and the creeping barrage kept creeping along. The Americans were with us, a platoon in each company. Win the war, they used to say. And in they would go into our barrage. They never had any instruction at Chalk Pit the previous night, so I was told. We came to our objective and then I took over the Lewis gun placing it about 20 paces from where we were digging in, with all the equipment at my disposal. I had a good position, filled sandbags I had on my legs, 
and placed them in front of the gun. Then, when all was ready, I got behind it and started off in short bursts. I could see the Germans running out of one broken-down trench into another, much the same at about 300 yards distance. I trained my gun on the object, and it was the best of shooting for quite a while. However, my ammunition ran out, so I had to go and look for more. The tanks had dropped some gun fodder at about 250 yards behind the line, so I ran out to find it. Merci, monsieur, one machine gun dogged me up. Only for my vamoose he would have had me. I noticed when he had finished firing, I had two spent bullets stuck in my putty, a near miss. I had to crawl on my hands and knees over the hill. I had a charmed life and carried on to the ammunition dump. I could see the ammunition in boxes scattered all over the place. The first box I saw I put on my shoulder and made my way back. And then the fun commenced. They were throwing everything at me from the needle to the elephant. One whiz-bang burst behind me. A 5.9 came at me, nearly hitting the box. I was going to carry on, only I fell into a shell hole full of water. I crawled as I have never crawled before, placing my belt around the box of ammunition. I could see my cold-blooded machine-gun nest near at hand, so I pushed on and almost fell over into it. To my consternation, I found that I had brought hand grenades instead of ammunition, for my little Tilly Lewis machine gun. Those German hearts would feel sore if I did not provide them with more ammunition. I gave the grenades to the troops digging in and got going again. I knew the road and I did not take long finding the ammunition. A few stray shells were lobbing around me, but they did not concern me. The Germans might have been clearing out, but to my sorrow they were advancing again, coming on in hordes, about 500 yards away from our objective. I got down to my gun again, and this time it was real shooting. All along the line our machine guns rattled, and our artillery had them in a quandary. The smoke screen from our guns dimmed the German advance. A little German boy tin hat and grey uniform, only about 14 or 15 years old, came crying to me, Mercy, comrade, mercy, out in no man's land. Two burly Yanks came at him with their bayonets fixed. Stop, I cried, raising my two empty revolvers. Don't move or I will blow your bloody heads off, I said to them. Take this little German back to the captain. Possibly he may get some information from him. They took him back and after I had fired my last pannier, I went back over the hill. On passing the dressing station, I saw a German soldier with his foot blown away and the two Yanks and the little Fritz conversing together. One of the Yanks came over to me and said, This German soldier wants to speak to you. Comrade, he said to me, you have saved my son. And without any hocks to it, he shook my hand. I departed for the ammunition dump. After crawling and puffing and dodging shells and falling into shell holes, I managed to get back with another box of ammunition. I had to change my cocking handle over to the left side because my right hand was getting stiff. My feet were sore and my head ached, as if there were two or three heads on my shoulders. I got down to my Lewis gun again after filling several magazines. The Germans were slacking off a bit, but the sniper fire still kept on popping away. They had several pot shots at me, so I climbed a little nearer to the ground and hugged my little Lewis gun. 
I started to roll about in pain. I got out of my machine gun nest and scrambled back again. I put another magazine on and got into the Bosch again. I felt a pain in my head, with blood streaming from the left side of my head near the temple. They had hit me at last. My dispatch overseas to Blighty, or my last resting place, was over. The citation for Harry's VC appeared in the London Gazette on the 17th of August 1918, and it reads, For most conspicuous bravery and devotion to duty when in action with a Lewis gun section, his company met with determined resistance from a strong point which was strongly garrisoned, manned by numerous machine guns and undamaged by our artillery fire, was also protected by strong wire entanglements. A heavy concentration of machine gun fire caused many casualties and held up our advance. His Lewis gun, having come into action and silenced enemy guns in one direction, an enemy gun opened fire from another direction. Private Dalziel dashed at it and with his revolver killed or captured the entire crew and gun and allowed our advance to continue. He was severely wounded in the hand but carried on and took part in the capture of the final objective. He twice went over open ground under heavy enemy artillery and machine gun fire to secure ammunition, and though suffering from considerable loss of blood, he filled magazines and served his gun until severely wounded through the head. His magnificent bravery and devotion to duty was an inspiring example to all his comrades, and his dash and unselfish courage at a critical time undoubtedly saved many lives and turned what would have been a serious check into a splendid success. What an amazing story. Harry was sent to the second Australian casualty clearing station and then to England to recover from his severe wounds. In December he went to Buckingham Palace to receive his Victoria Cross from King George V. In 1919 he returned to Australia and was given a hero's welcome in Atherton. Back to the present day and his daughter-in-law and granddaughter Diane and Jacqueline Dalziel have joined us on a pilgrimage of the Western Front. First, we visit the Australian National Memorial outside Villa Bretano and then the museum at the Victoria School in the small French village which the Australian soldiers liberated on July the 25th, 1918. At the school, they were presented with several drawings done by the schoolchildren about the Australian bushfires to give to local schools when they return home. From there, it was a short drive to Le Hamel, to meet the Mayor Stefan Chavan at the Australian Corps Memorial Park where Harry's VC action took place attacking Pear Trench. There are a series of plaques along a walkway leading to the memorial where the flags of Australia, Great Britain, Canada, the US and France proudly fly. One of the plaques includes photos of the two Victoria Cross recipients from the battle, Harry Dalziel and fellow Australian Jack Axford. It was a special moment for Diane and Jacqueline with Sacred Ground Tours French guide Aurore translating. Là, on va aller voir l'autre carte puisque sur l'autre carte. Let's have a look to the second map as we're going to see uh, which uh, ways the tanks have been using to. Because in fact, the battlefield covered all this area, running from the from the river, from the Somme River, just here, and running all around here. C'est leur premier voyage en France. Uh, Is it your first tra- trip in France? Uh, my second, but the first time here. Yeah. And what about you, Dave? Yeah, I've been here three times. Yeah. 
but this is my first time here and I've always wanted to come to Villeneuve-Bresno and Le Hamon, so I'm living a dream. Uh, facade and uh, the orange roof at the top of the ridge, you have uh, the Third Australian Divisions Memorial and just over there, that's the place where um, Red Baron was shot. Okay, yes, yes, just yes. over there. Okay. Yeah. So, in fact, all the area around here has been Australian during uh, 1918, during yeah. the counteroffensive and uh, from uh, April. But probably we can walk to the, to the, to the map yes. just over there just to see the, the place. Okay. So, just here you have a couple of photos of this place. And um, what is interesting, and you know, the Battle of uh, Le Hamel is famous for that, for the fact that we've been combining different things. So, the planes, the, the tanks, the rolling barrage, the guns, all that stuff together. And in this, it might it makes this battle much more modern than the others. And more than that, um, it has been, well, more than using all that stuff for, together, uh, the combined operation of that. Making the tanks coming first with the rolling barrage that protects the troops that are at the back and with the big guns uh, in, the, in the far distance, plus the planes. And you see the planes had a more strategical uh, use than just flying around because the planes start to fly around before the assault. So the assault was really early, three, uh, 10 past 3. It's almost day, you see, in, uh, in that time of the year. Uh, but the plane flied around and it, the, the, the idea was to cover the noise of tanks, as you know, and dropping goods. You see, okay. for, the, for the soldier not to run out yeah. of goods, yeah. and so dropping goods everywhere. And the tanks were used, of course, as defense machines, but also the, the, the tanks were full of goods and there were people dropping goods at the back. And what makes it exceptional too is that, in fact, uh, the tanks were carrying nurses. So the nurses can jump out to help the soldier. This is how we get so few casualties. So we were just here. This is Villas Brutuna. Just over there, so you have the memorial on the right, and Villas Brutuna is in fact straight ahead. You have to imagine that this map to be turned, right. you see, because north is here. Where is the somebody? Here. And north is there. Okay. So you turn it that way. And so you have Villas Brutuna. This is Fuyoy. So Fuyoy is just down, and Kobe is the city with the, the um, uh, church with the two towers, you see, it is the place with winter. So. This is the place where the tanks were, just over there. In front of it, you have Hamlet. You see Hamlet, we are in Hamel, mm -hmm. yeah. here. You see how close it is? So Hamlet is just down here, just over there. And you have just here, so we drove through here. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been um, in this wood too. So you have the first Australian line that runs just behind the wood and at the top. Just over there. Donc en fait, je suis en train de dire que uh, oui, c'est bon, vous oui, suivez oui, ça, ça va, va. Ça va. So the first Australian line was just at the top and over there. And the first German line, just here, just in front of the wood, Hamelwood, yes. just there, yes. down. And Petrange is just over there. You see, you have. Like dip section there? Yeah. Huh? yeah, in the dip section, we're dans la profondeur. Huh? Okay. Just here. You see where, uh, à peu près entre les deux arbres. Hein, voilà, on, on, a, on a le, la, la petite, on a le bois, le petit fouet autour et Petrange devrait être devant par rapport à la longueur. Là, on voit quelques petits arbres là qui, qui vont là. Ouais. Pour moi, Petrange. Bah oui, pour là. moi, c'est là aussi. Voilà. So, a, you see where you have the long tree. Yes. So you follow the first long tree. You go to the right. You have a low bush, yes. and it is over here, right. just over there. It's actually um, 
extremely moving, isn't it? To, to be here where he was. The mayor also explains to the Delzeals how Lahamel remembers the battle and the sacrifice of Australia. David tries to value maximum the remembrance of the Great War. So they're working every year with the, the, the pupil of school, so they are 450, and uh, they, they work to value the sites, so they comes and make drawing concourse and all that stuff, uh, just for the uh, remembrance uh, to, to go home. We'll go home and tell our families and our communities about how wonderfully well you are celebrating what was an amazing, difficult event. It's important, it's indispensable. It's really important to be done. J'ai plus les termes exacts de ce que disait Simone Veil, donc. Mais voilà, on n'a pas le devoir de mémoire, mais et malheureusement j'ai perdu la suite. Je sais plus, mais on n'a pas le devoir de mémoire. C'est pas un devoir de mémoire, c'est de savoir ce qui s'est passé. As Winston Churchill says, a country who forgets its own history is condemned to 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 make it again. In a touching gesture at the conclusion of the visit to the memorial, the mayor presents us all with souvenirs including a medallion commemorating the battle with the face of Sir John Monash on it, plus postcards and a lapel pin. It's time for lunch and after a short drive, the Mayor has another surprise planned on our arrival at the Anzac pub in Corby. He presents Diane and Jacqueline with an Australian flag that has flown at the memorial. It smells a little because it was stored. Well, it is the one of this year, so the one that usually stands in the Hamer. So the flag was damaged by the wind because it stayed six months out and it was really, really damaged. So, Monsieur Contamina's wife, Manuel's wife, fix it. It's time to sample some beautiful traditional French cuisine. But first the mayor gives them two key rings. One with a poppy and the other a digger in a slouch hat. And also a porcelain platter with a painting on it of two French people placing flowers in a battlefield cemetery. He also has some words of welcome. Thanks again to Aurore for translating. We'd be lost without you. Surtout que ce restaurant vient de rouvrir il y a quelques semaines. Il a été baptisé Lanzac Pub. Donc évidemment, c'est toujours porteur. Évidemment, la guerre, malheureusement, les premières guerres mondiales aujourd'hui sont encore porteurs de, 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 de goodies, de, de publicité. Et puis, on, on s'approprie. Et c'est une très, très bonne chose qu'un restaurant corbéen ait pris le nom de Anzac. On a le Victoria à Villers-Bretonneux. Et on a toujours cette consonance maintenant australienne. Pourquoi ben Parce qu'il y a le, quand même le tourisme. Alors, on ne va pas parler de tourisme de mémoire. Moi, je ne suis pas trop d'accord. On s'était dit qu'après euh, 18, le centenaire, euh, tout sera ce qu'en 18. On se rend compte aujourd'hui que même si on a donc, la fille d'un premier combattant de la guerre mondiale, etc., avec la petite fille qui sont là, on a également des jeunes qui sont présents, et des Australiens. Et on se doit, nous, euh, les Français, et puis les résidents du Val-de-Somme, parce qu'on a quand même été, comme beaucoup de régions, impactés par les 
deux guerres et surtout la première guerre mondiale, bah, d'être présent, il faut qu'on soit là. Et c'est un grand plaisir d'être ensemble là, de se faire un petit cadeau, de se faire un petit présent. Ne serait-ce que le sourire, l'alarme aussi, même si c'était le vent peut-être qui faisait pleurer les yeux, mais il n'y a pas que le vent qui fait pleurer. Quoi. Et c'est des grands moments et qu'on aime partager. C'est pour ça qu'on est là avec vous, on est très heureux d'être avec vous. Monsieur Mayer a dit que nous sommes dans Enzac Pub. So Enzac Pub est the way uh, inhabitants of Kobe contribute to the remembrance and uh, it's an occasion also to, to value the area. When you go to, to Villas Bretonneux, you have Victorian restaurant and uh, well, you have different names of restaurants here directly with the, with the Great War. And uh, well, of course, it's a way to pay tribute, but in the same time, it is also a way to uh, talk about tourism. And uh, because here in France, it is always a, a touchy subject to talk about tourism and the money can be given through tourism. But you see, with names like this, it brings tourists here. And in the same time, it is the way to pay tribute. So it's both mixed together and it is definitely really positive. And moreover, it gives an example for the new generation, for children, for young people, because ENZAC for French do not mean something precise. So they ask for that, for that and we, it's the occasion to explain and to go ahead with remembrance. That's I'm great. really honored and touched by your generosity, your kindness and your warmth. Like I said before, I've always wanted to come here and today I have and I'm so grateful and the flag will be remembered by a whole family forever and ever. So thank you. Thank you. During lunch, the mayor, Mr. Siobhan, tells us how his wife bakes hundreds of Anzac biscuits and invites anyone who's at the local ceremony on April the 25th back to their place for morning tea. It's just another sign of how the sacrifice of Australians more than 100 years ago continues to be remembered. And as I talk to him after lunch, there are more surprises, as I ask him what meeting the relatives of Harry Dalziel, VC, means to him. Alors, évidemment, évidemment, un grand moment et, et vraiment très particulier parce qu'on reçoit toujours euh, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200 Australiens en même temps. On n'a pas le temps d'échange comme on a aujourd'hui, même si on passe un petit peu de temps, une heure ou deux ensemble. Mais le fait d'être en direct, comme on dit chez nous maintenant, en live et d'avoir véritablement euh, euh, à côté de, de moi euh, la, la fille, la petite fille, évidemment, d'un combattant australien qui a eu euh, la Victoria Cross à l'EML euh, par rapport à ses exploits. Et vous m'avez expliqué qu'il avait fait des exploits sur tous les champs de bataille euh, euh, européen et, et même du monde, puisqu'il avait été à Gallipoli aussi, si mes souvenirs sont bons, c'est un moment euh, de partage exceptionnel et unique, unique. So the, the main word is unique and uh, exceptional, so terrific, uh, because, well, uh, here uh, they are used to uh, receive people that in coming coaches of 30, 40, 50 sometime, but for once, only two ladies and not just ladies daughter and granddaughter of such a soldier have been everywhere fighting in gallipoli and everywhere in europe belgium in france and so uh for mr mayor it's really a special it's really special what does the commemoration and the remembrance of not just the australians but the australians were very famous for their victory here what does that mean to la hamel qu Qu'est-ce qu que cette bataille et puis euh, bah, la, les commémorations qui y sont euh, liées, ça représente pour le Hamel Alors, la mémoire de le Hamel euh, a commencé à renaître dans les années 90, quand le gouvernement australien, les anciens combattants australiens, nous ont réveillés en fait, en disant, vous savez, il y a quand même une grosse bataille le Hamel. Certains avaient la mémoire, certains s'en rappelaient certainement 
parce que les grands-parents en avaient certainement parlé, mais on était dans l'ignorance. Donc à partir de là, on s'est réveillé. Et aujourd'hui, ce n'est pas, pas une obligation, ce n'est pas un devoir de mémoire, c'est la logique même de, de bien recevoir nos, nos amis australiens qui, ben, il y a maintenant plus de 100 ans, sont venus défendre la commune. Alors le Hamel, c'est toujours cité en exemple, la première bataille moderne, Évidemment. Alors, ce n'est pas forcément un triste record, ce n'est pas forcément un, une revendication. Voilà, la première vraie bataille, mais euh, la première fois où euh, le commandement unique, évidemment, avec euh, Sir John Monash, a permis à toutes les troupes, donc il y avait les Américains qui se battaient pour la première fois euh, auprès des Australiens à cette époque-là, euh, les Anglais, euh, des Français certainement, etc. Toutes les nations, il n'y avait pas de Français. Bon, les Français n'étaient pas absents. Mais voilà, cette... Euh, cette façon de, de procéder et que les Anglais aient accepté qu'un Australien aussi, c'était quand même quelque chose d'extraordinaire, soit le commandant unique de, de ce type de bataille, euh, c'est extraordinaire. Quoi. Donc c'est pas qu'on se doit, ça fait partie de, de, de l'histoire de l'Hamel, c'est un grand pan de l'histoire mondiale, et si c'est un petit morceau, parce que évidemment, comme on le disait il y a quelque temps, euh, Belle victoire avec peu de morts, donc évidemment quelque chose de plutôt réjouissant par rapport aux, aux autres batailles où il y avait toujours des 10 000, 20 000, 40 000 et même 200 000 morts à chaque fois. Donc vraiment l'obligation d'être de, de, respectueux de, 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 ce, de cet événement, évidemment. So, uh, to answer the, the question you ask about the, the, the way uh, the Australian and inhabitants of Le Hamel consider the place. In the 90s, Australians went back to uh, Le Hamel with holding this remembrance. In fact, in Le Hamel, people knew that, but not as deep as now. And uh, so Australians came back and uh, inhabitants had to learn because they knew, but we're not sure. And uh, so it is thanks to this gift that Logically, inhabitants of Le Hamel received it, received the remembrance, and uh, decided to promote it. And for Le Hamel, it is really important because uh, it, Le Hamel is the real modern battle of history in the Great War history, combining tanks, um, guns planes, everything, and moreover, uh, what makes this battle exceptional is that uh, you have different Commonwealth forces and American forcing fight, uh, fighting side by side and run by a non-British born officer. So all these elements make the place exceptional. And Lohamil is a piece of history with not so much Death, of course, it's always too much. But compared with Passchendaele, Messine, or Fromiel, it's definitely less. And so, inhabitants of Le Hamel got the necessity to hold the remembrance. Do the people of Le Hamel know the name of Harry Dalziel? Est-ce que les, les habitants de Le Hamel savent qui est Harry Dalziel? Ils le, ils le savent sans, sans grande précision. Je vais devoir m'attacher évidemment à non pas commémorer sa mémoire, mais à ce que ce ne soit plus, euh, même si on a eu sa photo, évidemment, on le voit en passant au mémorial, on le voit, je pense mettre un, un focus, un, un, un coup de projecteur, et on va le faire, 
et j'en profiterai, donc on a un bulletin municipal qui s'appelle Le Hurleux d'ailleurs, qui a le nom du, du site, où on va devoir, non pas commémorer, c'est pas du tout le terme, mais euh, garder à l'esprit euh, ce commandant et faire savoir, et faire savoir, donc euh, Henri Daziel, Le Hamel, c'est quelque chose d'exceptionnel. So, inhabitants of Le Hamel heard a few about this name, but they don't know precisely who he is and what he did, what he did here. And uh, the fact you came, uh, Mr. Mayor says that I decided to do something special, like a memorial or as something to value and to explain to people, uh, not for them to be forced to know, but to explain, to, to make them understanding what he did there and how we will do that. So we will focus, we will make a, a spotlight on it, and we'll start probably with um, an article in the local newspaper, and probably something bigger then, like a memorial or a plaque. Et je m'engage, même si on a une échéance électorale, mais je sais que même si c'est quelqu'un qui passe à ma place, il n'y a pas de problème, euh, on va essayer de voir au mieux pour qu'une rue, si elles en sont d'accord, une rue de Le Hamel porte son nom, si c'est possible. Okay. So what I... What I am about to tell you is really emotional because uh, Mr. Mayor uh, says that, well, he is not sure to be re-elected, but we'll try to make it working even if he is not re-elected, giving the name of your father to one of the roads, of the streets. Oh, thank you to name very one of the much. Yeah. That is very, very kind. Thank you very much. Et ce qui permettra justement bah, de, 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 de refaire, de faire revivre évidemment la mémoire de Henri, évidemment, et puis d'expliquer qu'elle était. Donc évidemment, à un moment, j'aurais besoin d'Aurore, parce que j'aurais besoin de, de quelques précisions. Il est né où Il a vécu Le nom Les enfants Etc. etc. pour faire quelque chose de, de, de conséquent sur Henri. Ce serait, une, ce serait quelque chose de magnifique, je crois. Je crois aussi. C'est en fait, je vais prendre l'occasion de renaming a street through the name of your father to spotlight on him. I think it is definitely better than a memorial. Yeah. Or than a monument. That's a great idea. Thank you very much. That's very, very kind. It will mean a lot to my family. Well, we stay in touch because we will have probably to make a little text. So we will do it together and then I will transmit it to Mr. Mayor. That's an amazing gesture, Mr. Mayor. And, and also other gestures today, you gave a flag that's been, an Australian flag that has flown at the memorial and some souvenirs and some gifts as well. So it's been uh, very generous. It shows the regard that you have for Australians. Alors, ce que vous venez de proposer, c'est fantastique. Hein, ils sont tous très, très touchés. Mais le fait que vous ayez donné le drapeau aussi, c'est quelque chose qui, qui les touche beaucoup euh, et, euh, et qui, euh, bah, qui, qui va rester euh, comme quelque chose d'unique hein, dans l'expérience. Le, dans c'est normal. Dieu merci, Aurore, vous avez pour, on en avait parlé. Il y avait juste un mot comme ça. Comme quoi, des fois, juste un échange comme ça. Parce que c'est la première fois qu'on se voit, même ouais. si j'étais un peu loin de vous recontacter. Non, euh, etc. Mais voilà, le, le résultat est là aujourd'hui. Je pense qu'ensemble, on arrive à faire quelque chose d'extraordinaire. Mr. Mayor wants to, to, to make some kind of experiences like that and to value uh, through the experiences. I'm very, very happy again to be here and to be in contact with, with me because we we'll start with a phone call and uh, just uh, the fact that we've been exchanging about the flag when we were at the memorial, uh, well, makes all these real. Yeah, so that's bloody good, yeah. And just finally, Mr. Mayor, um, 
All we can hope for is that you get re-elected in the election. So, uh... pas d'inquiétude, hein, pas d'inquiétude. Même si c'est pas moi qui suis réélu, de toute manière, euh, disons les personnes qui se présentent aujourd'hui sont très dans le devoir de mémoire, dans l'implication. Donc, il n'y a aucun souci. Il y a aucun souci. No worries. Uh, even if uh, Mr. Mayor is not re-elected, people no who, who are here are all involved in the remembrance, so no problem. Thank you very much. Yeah. And thank you for lunch. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. Thank you. After handshakes and hugs and in French style a kiss on each cheek, we bid the Mayor a huge thank you and goodbye. There are still some more battlefields to visit before the day is over. And to save time, I chat to Jacqueline and Diane in the minibus about their unforgettable day. My name is Jacqueline Delzeal. I'm the granddaughter of Henry Delzeal, VC. And I'm Diane Delzeal. I'm Harry Delzeal's daughter-in-law, and I'm married to his son, Frank. What was it like today to retrace some of the footsteps of your grandfather, Henry, or Harry, who's has been known, uh, Delzeal, Victoria Cross winner from the Battle of La Hamel in 1918? It's pretty surreal. I think growing up, we we knew that he'd done something special, but we didn't really understand the the magnitude of what it was. And we just kind of thought everyone had a VC. Everyone who went to the war had a VC. And, you know, as we grew up, we learned more about what it actually meant and what had actually happened. But, you know, we come from Queensland in Australia, and so it's really hard for us to, I guess, imagine what a battlefield in in France actually looks like and what Pear Trench and La Hamel actually is and so it's been really I guess humbling today to actually see the the site and to under, to have some insight not nowhere near comprehending the reality of of what it was like for Harry over here and and to see that what he did you know really has had such a huge impact on this town and it's amazing yeah it's and to stand there at the plaque at the Australian Memorial at La Hamel, the plaque that has a photo of your grandfather, Harry, looking out over the French countryside to where he fought and, and won that VC for that action that day on the 4th of July, 1918, I think I noticed a tear in your eye, down your cheek. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very emotional, I guess. You know, it's, as I said, it's not you know something you can really comprehend and then to actually see it and and to think about the conditions and and where we were standing there was quite a, a muddy field right next to us and it gave you a very tiny taste of what daily life would have been like um and yeah it is it is emotional i think you think about someone you have a blood relation to and that the the things that happened during that battle impacted his life and my father's life and and the reasons behind it and and the fact that war still goes on you know it's it's a really emotional process and diane you're married to frank uh, harry's son what was it like for you today to be there and, and look out where he fought i found it very moving and i feel incredibly proud to be part of a family of such a man who gave so much um to help the people of France so to me it was extremely emotional and very a very proud moment for me which I'll be sharing with my husband when I go home. And how about you met the mayor of La Hamel and uh, had lunch with him and it was obvious of their respect and gratitude for Australians, the soldiers and, and your father-in-law Harry. Yes, uh, that was amazing um, 
uh, and the mayor is obviously a very busy person and has lots of affairs to attend to, that he would give so much of his time and arrange for us to receive so many mementos, a flag, to come to lunch. We felt very privileged and very honoured indeed. How about that flag? That's, that's flown at the memorial there, the Australian Memorial at La Hamel. And for he snuck off after we were at the memorial and met us at the uh, pub for lunch and produces this the flag, the Australian flag that has flown there where your father-in-law fought. I know. I was really blown away by that. Uh, that's going to be a fairly heirloom. We're going to share, family heirloom. We're going to share that with every member of our family because that's so significant and so special. And, and other little souvenirs as well, you know, a, a mug, a, a little badge from La Hamel, a, a little platter. Absolutely, absolutely. We will spread it all out and then we'll make sure that every member, every living member of Harry receives at least something that we got today in Hamel. And the Mayor even went further. He said that, Jackie, that he plans to do some sort of a memorial to tell the local people more about Harry and also, if possible, to name a street after Harry. It's just that the generosity is outstanding, isn't it? just like Christmas didn't keep stops, kept coming. So, uh, so yeah, I think um, he, he spoke a little bit about the fact that whilst people understand the importance of the Australians' battles, they might not know the specifics of each of the soldiers and it was a good opportunity for him to shine a light on Harry and, and his story. And, um, yeah, that's incredibly humbling and a very welcome surprise. Let's talk about Harry. He signs up, he, he fights through the Gallipoli campaign and that must have been horrendous, but it, the horrors of the Western Front took it, I think, to a whole new scale. Tell me what you know, you've learnt through your family, from your, your father and your, your uncle, about Harry, and in particular, I suppose, that battle, the fight, the action where he won the Victoria Cross, because that was outstanding valour and gallantry. So Harry was one of 11 children. So he had 10 brothers and sisters, and his older brother had to stay home to um, care for the cattle and the livestock and so Harry was the next eligible to go to war and he wanted to so he signed up and his younger brother tried to sneak in he forged his age and tried to go to war with Harry but Harry found him and gave him a kick up the pants and sent him home so yes yeah, so Harry was he was sent to Egypt and then came over to France he fought in Gallipoli and when he was in Gallipoli he was with a friend Jim McDonald who he met in the railways when he was in Queensland before going to war and they were close friends and when he was in Gallipoli Jim um, was shot and killed right next to Harry and that had a really lasting impact on him and uh, and my aunt Anne uh, told me that that was a, I guess the motivation for Harry to continue fighting so he was sent back to London for six months prior to the battle at Hamel um, with a an illness, fever, and he was convalescing in the London hospital. And at that time, Australia offered him a commission to return to Australia, but he turned it down and said that he he felt he needed to go back to the Western Front. And um, when he returned, obviously that then led to the Battle of Hamel and, and Pear Trench. And tell us about that, because whether two revolvers, I think, and maybe <laughs> another, maybe he had more, he had a German dagger, and he's written his own account of it yeah. as well, which is the family has preserved and there's, there's a website but as much as you know about it take me through that action what happened that day it's, it's remarkable so I mean the stories it was told to me it's probably not 
completely accurate as it's with Chinese whispered through the families. So you might have to double check with Anne, but uh, he was at the front and he was a Lewis gun operator, so a machine gun operator. And the Australian troops were under heavy fire and he, uh, there was a German base and they were attacking the army. So he handed over his Lewis gun to another soldier and using his revolvers, he snuck around the back of the German base and took over the German base. So he captured a number of German soldiers, uh, which then meant that that heavy fire, the Australian troops were under ceased because he stopped that. Uh, in that process, he was injured. He injured his hand and he was told to go back to the back of the line to go and get um, some first aid treatment. And he didn't, he told them to bugger off and went back to the front. And at that time, his Lewis gun had run out of ammunition and the tanks were supposed to bring ammunition in, but they couldn't get in. And so they were airdropping it. And, but it was in the middle of the combat zone. So it was where the bullets were firing, where they were dropping the ammunition. And so Harry ran out and to get a box of ammunition and crawled back with it, only to realize he grabbed a box of grenades, not a box of bullets. And so he went out again and got another box of ammunition and brought it back and that was enough for him to load his gun. But his hand was damaged, so he had to swap the firing side of his gun. I'm not sure the technical terms. And, uh, and ultimately soon after he was hit in the head and um, obviously had lots of blood. And he basically was shot in the skull and uh, he was taken to a first aid hut and left outside and a passing surgeon said oh this one's still moving uh, so they grabbed him and brought him in and ultimately that um, surgeon operated on him and saved his life he he did have an open wound on his head so they didn't repair the skull he later had operations to try to put a metal plate over the skull but the pain was too bad so they had to remove it but the, his skin grew over but and his daughter and my father tell me that um, you could see like the brain pulsing through his skin so um, obviously he had a lot of um, convalescing and spent a lot of time in the UK getting well before he could come home to Australia um, and then obviously there was all the VC pomp and, and valour where he met obviously the royal family and was awarded the VC and then there was multiple trips and, and things related to that. Diane I'll bring you in here being there today and and, and and what you know about those actions how do you someone do something like that to, to go back out to have shot through the hand blood loss end up being shot in the head how do you fathom that it's interesting because Frank my husband and I have often talked about that and we wonder whether you know whether you, in that instant do you just forget about yourself and do what you've been trained to do to look after and and protect your own troops as well as forcing the enemy back um, so yeah it's a it's a moment of pride I you know something that I've always thought was extremely significant but Frank like his father didn't talk about it much and in fact he said his father would talk on Anzac Day that was a very special day for him and he marched every year uh, and he would meet with his mates and they would reminisce but other than that he really didn't talk about it much at all and I should just say for the listener that we're sitting in the uh back here of the uh, minivan and we're doing this uh, chat not to waste any time when we get to Pozier where we're headed to next where 
Harry Ford as well. I think we're going to try and get to Bullecourt as well. So if you're wondering about the noise and the, the, the bit of rain and the road noise, we're going through the French countryside here and uh, right right through the, the battles of uh, battlefields of uh, World War One. There's a road here on the left to Albert where a lot of Australians were. Um, Jackie, what do you know about what life was like after he was demobilised and uh, discharged uh, from the army, I think in 1919, and he goes back to Australia with those severe wounds and must have been tough life. He was very young, so when he returned to Australia, he was still only in his mid-twenties. So he pretty much had a life of illness and and pain ahead of him. So he was unable to work. He did try working. He tried a number of different roles. Um, he tried night shift because he thought the, the lack of light might help with his head. Um, but ultimately, it, it just wasn't to be. So he, he used to... He did pottery, he did songwriting, he did a lot of creative things to, cause to fill his time. He also volunteered a lot and uh, used to go on lots of long walks. I think it was, he, he always wanted to go back to the Tablelands, so he's from Atherton area and Irving Bank and the Tablelands, but he unfortunately he wasn't allowed to, so he couldn't travel and he had to be close to the doctors, so it was a dream of his to go home and, and he just didn't get to do that. He loved uh, Anzac Day, he was really proud and every year uh, he'd always catch the 8am train on the dot into the city on Brisbane and he'd skulk around looking for his mates that he could share stories with and he'd always march in the parade and it was a, a big highlight for him every year. And when he'd lead the parade he'd always nod to the family so on the side and, and make a big fuss. But yeah, as I said, I think it was a very tough life. It wasn't easy and especially when you think about perspective that he was 25 coming home with these horrific injuries. His whole life ahead of him, it would have been very frustrating. But also, you know, he was very proud of the Victoria Cross and he was very proud of his time and um, his service. So, yeah, it would have been tough. And he enlisted in the reserves of the citizens militia in World War Two uh, stayed in Australia but he still obviously despite those disabilities wanted to contribute again after he'd already given so much and then I suppose a, a mark of what sort of man he was I'll get you to run this story by me when Princess Elizabeth at that stage who was in when she was pregnant with Prince Charles your grandfather did a remarkable act tell me about that so Harry didn't feel that he was worthy of the VC. He felt that it was anyone would have done the same thing. He was he was incredibly proud of it, but he also didn't feel that he was particularly special. And he um, he tried to give the VC back to Queen Elizabeth uh, to Princess Elizabeth at the time as a gift for Prince Charles. So he posted the medal and uh, the medal, sorry, and the, a letter to Princess Elizabeth offering her the gift of the VC. And she wrote back to Harry and in her letter she wrote that she'd had a conversation with her father, who was King George VI at that time. Um, and they discussed whether or not to accept the gift. And King George VI said that his father, King George V, had presented Harry with that medal and it was a medal honouring a very brave soldier and that it wasn't something they could accept. So thank you very much. And then, so Princess Elizabeth wrote a letter detailing all of that and sent it back to Harry with saying thank you, but we can't accept it. It's a great story, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 
pretty crazy. Yeah. Diane, what sort of impact your marriage to his son, and Jackie just say about how difficult it was for him when he returned back to Australia, what sort of impact did the war have on his children who he had later in life and the impact on them? On a personal level, it was very difficult for them because of his head injury. They had to maintain a very silent household. So that was difficult. Um, I think that um, they shared in a sense of pride but not real understanding of what had, what what he'd done. So I suspect that there's probably lots and lots of stories that nobody's ever heard. Um, and my husband, Frank, didn't speak of it often because their, their father didn't speak of it often so um, it was just something that he'd done. Harry himself was very proud and um, were, you know, received lots of invitations to, to governments and things like that. They would always send a taxi and pick him up and take him and as Jackie said when he was marching in the Anzac Parade he dipped the flag to his family on the right rather than the governor on the left. As he was war- and, and I think that probably sums him up. He was a bit of a rogue, I think, and here for a good time. Maybe not a long time, but a very good time. And Jackie, as we're just driving along, what has today meant to be here and share some of the, I suppose, experiences where he was to get? Does it give you any better understanding of what was a huge part of your grandfather's life? I think a massive sense of connection now. So actually seeing the Pear Trench and seeing La Hamel and understanding the scale of it I, I do feel like I have a, a bit better connection to my grandfather because I have I've never met him he died before I was born so yeah I think definitely we've always had a very strong sense of pride associated with Harry but yeah I think it's it's just really made it a lot more real. You were talking to me earlier today when we we're at the Hermel at the memorial uh, where the battle took place and you said one of his proudest moments was involved a, a young German soldier. Yeah, so at Le Hamel, um, obviously there was American troops fighting alongside the Australians, and at one point they were lined. American soldiers were lined up to shoot a German teenager who was a German soldier, and Harry saw the kid, and he was only about fourteen or so, and he said to the Americans, "Don't shoot him. If you shoot him, I'll shoot you," and said, "Send him back to the captain. You know, he might have some information or something." And, um, and they did, so they spared the life of this teenager. And later on, in that same battle, Harry was passing the first aid station and there was a German man lying outside, injured, waiting for treatment. And he said to Harry, you saved the life of my son. So he actually came across the father who'd witnessed Harry saving his teenage son. And I think that's something that Harry was always really proud of. You said you hadn't met him. Would you have liked to have met him? And, and, and what would you have said to him? I would have loved to have met him. He sounds very much like a person that you'd like to sit down and have a beer with. I think I'd like to say thank you. I think obviously what he did had a huge impact, but it also had a really big negative impact on his life. So I'd like to thank him for his service, but also just get to know the man. Like he's, he's kind of this mythical hero to me of this, this Harry Delzeal VC winner. And I'd just like to get to know Harry. Um, and understand what kind of guy he was and, you know, get some insight into his life and what led up to those. How does he feel about it all, you know? Does he have any big insights into it? Or, yeah, I guess just really to understand what kind of man he was apart from just 
Harry Delzeal, the VC winner, which is so awesome and impressive. But who's Harry Delzeal? I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks very much for allowing me to uh, share your day with you, uh, Jackie and Diane. Thanks very much. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, likewise, a pleasure. Thanks very much, Bruce. The pleasure is all mine. It was a wonderful day spent with Diane and Jacqueline retracing the footsteps of their remarkable relative. Thanks also to Aurore for her expert guidance and translating. To the Mayor, Stefan Chavan, your generosity will never be forgotten. And a big thank you to David Dalziel, Harry's oldest son, who has developed a wonderful website with a huge amount of information about his dad and family. I sourced a lot of the information and pictures for this project from there. It's well worth a visit at harrydalzielvc.org. That's Dalziel, spelt D-A-L-Z-I-E-L. Au revoir for now, and lest we forget.